0: Hello and welcome to Red Talks, a series of curated events and interviews on the hottest developments in emerging markets. I'm Sia Kulkarni, ESG Reporter at Red Intelligence.
1: And I'm Ormaka Tripathi, Legal Analyst at Red. In a second
0: installment of the topic, we continue to explore sustainability-linked bonds, or SLDs, which are instruments designed to help issuers achieve specific sustainability performance targets over the course of the bond's majority, with a penalty mechanism if the targets are not met. This time, we spoke to Pallavi Gopinath Anay from global law firm Allen & Overy to gain a better understanding of the legal and regulatory aspect of the SLB market. Pallavi has worked on several landmark capital markets transactions out of India and the broader Asian market, including India's first SLB issued by Ultratech Cement. Indian issuers have put out a total of 1.2 billion US dollars in SLBs across three names in 2021: UltraTech Cement, Adani Electricity, Mumbai, and JSW Steel, with environment-linked performance targets. This isn't a surprise. The country has set renewable energy goals, and more recently announced a 2070 carbon neutrality goal during the COP26 conference in Glasgow. But what are the specific regulatory drivers or even behavioral trends that have contributed to the supply and success of these instruments in India? Here's what Pallavi had to say.
2: Thanks, Seiya. Thanks, Armika. Thank you for having me today. Um, that's a very interesting question in terms of sort of regulatory and behavioral drivers. Um, I I would say the way Indian regulations are currently structured, there isn't a specific regulatory driver linked to ESG today per se, um, at least across different industries. Uh, But India is unique, I think, regionally, in the sense that it has always had a pricing ceiling for bonds that are issued from onshore. Uh, So when a company based in India makes a direct issuance to offshore investors of a dollar or any other foreign currency denominated instrument. Uh, There is a all-in-cost ceiling that the Reserve Bank of India has had in place for many years, and that was actually recently amended as well. Uh, What that means is that pricing or pricing within those parameters uh, for new issuers is always a consideration. So any development overall uh, that pushes the market towards better pricing is keenly watched in India. Um, and obviously, properly structured, drafted, and sort of put to market, SLBs have the ability to deliver better pricing to issuers. So, I'd say that's certainly a factor that's made the Indian market get more interested in SLBs. In terms of behavioral trends, uh, I think there are a couple of uh, things that's driving that. Um, there's obviously the need to achieve impact. Uh, and I think more and more industries, either under peer pressure or including from their international counterparts or in the market more generally, are focused on achieving ESG impact. Um, And they want to signal clearly to the market that this is an area they're focused on. This is um, something they intend to structure and grow their businesses, keeping in mind. Uh, The second aspect is just understanding investor behavior more, uh, generally speaking. These issues have obviously watched sort of investor interest sort of, focus on the ESG space. Um, And that's not surprising given that's something we are seeing across APAC more broadly. Uh, But I think there has been a realization that there are at least two categories of investors, those that will simply not invest in brown industries or in issuers that have a poor ESG track record. Um, And there are investors who have set goals or targets for themselves to invest in green industries or in issuers that who have clear, verifiable ESG targets. Um, So obviously, looking at that pool of investors, and that's a pool that sort of grows day by day, there has been interest in the Indian market in structuring these products to benefit from having access to that pool of investors. Um, And lastly, I think there's just been a greater take-up across Asia-Pacific more generally of ESG products. Um, So it's not surprising that a market like India watching that um, is also keen to sort of take benefit from that trend.
1: Now, a common trend in existing issuances of SLBs out of India as well as Southeast Asia is that issuers are primarily from non pure play green industries, which makes sense given SLBs are designed to allow a broader range of issuers to tap the offshore markets to work on their sustainability goals. However, while the flexible nature of SLBs allows brown issuers to tap the sustainable finance market, this very flexibility also makes them more prone. impact washing risks as opposed to use of proceeds-based bonds. In use of proceeds-based bonds, the proceeds raised from the bond are specifically earmarked for a green project and tracked. For example, as we also discussed in the first installment of our podcast on SLBs, there have been concerns about ambitiousness of the Sustainability Performance Targets or SPTs, as well as the nature of the penalty if the issuer fails to meet its targets. Currently, these instruments are largely guided by the International Capital Market Association principles or ICMA principles as they're popularly known. We asked Pallavi whether international guidelines will continue to dominate as the benchmark for SLBs or if we'll see increased domestic regulations on SLBs to tighten these structures and address concerns of potential misuse. She believes this is a trend that will continue but with increasing scrutiny from stock exchanges on disclosure requirements. New frameworks may take form. If you're talking about the
2: general risk of sort of impact washing or greenwashing, I think that certainly exists across different ESG products, whether it's use of proceeds-based bonds or SLBs. Um, I think that's where the role of, you know, the third-party verifiers becomes that much more important, which is, are the metrics a company is choosing for itself in the SLB space are uh, truly properly ambitious and are they at par with sort of industry, best practice and benchmark? Um, if an issuer is sort of setting a target that it's almost on the verge of already achieving um, or that it sort of was any way on target to achieve in one or two years, but it's now specifying that for a five-year or 10-year bond duration, uh, that's obviously somewhat problematic. And that's where I think investors are increasingly quite savvy and actually ask questions if they are especially bringing in funds that are intended to be invested in green industries or green products they're certainly asking difficult questions around the nature of the targets and how they've been arrived at so i think that's a trend in terms of self-policing that you'll see brought about by sort of just market factors um In terms of sort of regulation overall of the sector, um, ultimately, the the products today are still largely driven by the ICMA guidelines. There hasn't been really a lot of local regulatory work around these products. But bear in mind, it's still a very nascent industry, right? Um, I think what you're generally seeing, though, across, uh, I think, a few different policy frameworks is a general focus on ESG reporting and climate reporting more widely. Um, I personally think it's a matter of time before that spills over into the actual regulation of, for example, um, external data sort of uh, data providers, external verifiers and so on. Singapore, for example, has brought in amendments to the listing rules um, that focus on climate reporting. So, Singapore has essentially said they now have a framework that they require issuers to comply with in terms of reporting their sustainability, progress and goals. Um, so climate-related disclosures have now become mandatory for issuers in certain sectors. For example, if you are financial services, agriculture, transportation these are sectors that are now subject to more detailed reporting. So I think that's a trend you will see stock exchanges sort of come up with in different geographies as the focus on this area goes, uh, grows. And I think the intention will be to make sure uh, the amount of sort of fuzziness or issue of flexibility in terms of how they report is reduced over a period of time.
0: On a related note, Pallavi also cited a report from the International Organization of Securities Commission's on the regulations of third party reviewers for SLBs. A common worry among sustainable finance investors is a disparity in methodologies of ESG ratings agencies in assessing how aligned an issuer is with global sustainability benchmarks. So, the report provides recommendations for ensuring consistency and transparency in the functioning of ESG ratings and data products providers. This is what she had to say on this.
2: So most recently, ISCO, the International Organization of Securities Commissions, released a report um, on what they believe the framework for regulation of sort of third parties in the ESG space should look like. Uh, Now, that's obviously very interesting. And I think they had a lot of feedback on that. Um, And I think that's certainly the direction it's taking in terms of who are. uh, So they've broken it down into a few different sort of uh, pieces in terms of what should Sustainably related disclosure look like for issuers and how that should be policed. What should sustainably related practice, policy, uh, procedures look like for industry, sort of intermediaries other than issuers. And lastly, is the regulation of ESG ratings and data pr- product providers. Uh, so I think that paper is certainly going to be the subject matter of a fair amount of discussion. But you can see an industry trend moving in that direction. So I think. Um, While it hasn't really started yet, I think what has started is a robust discussion around how you uh, monitor and supervise ESG ratings and data product providers. Uh, Because arguably, at least in the ESG sort of bond finance space, uh, the blessing of these third-party providers is almost as important as the overall bond rating. And in all fairness, the rating agencies are regulated. So I think the conversation is certainly moving towards Um, identifying, I think, in the first instance who these ESG rating and data product sort of providers are and how you then set about achieving some form of uniformity across industries and geographies in how they are evaluating an issuer's sort of um, SPTs or goals overall. Um, I think if you go through the ISCO report, there are a few interesting trends that they've identified. One is Given it's a fairly nascent industry, I think overall, in terms of the ESG product, never mind SLBs, which are much newer, uh, there is a paucity of data or comparators in some geographies across the world. Um, and given that, there is sort of there are questions around how easy it is for these data product providers to do their work when they're asked to evaluate SPTs or what is the industry benchmark. The second trend that is interesting is actually consolidation within the sector. Uh, Unlike sort of rating agencies where internationally you have the three main agencies, there are a large number of sort of ESG sort of um, data product providers across sort of different countries. But there is certainly a trend now moving towards away from fragmentation towards consolidation. Uh, which means a few players are likely over a period of time to just emerge as being stronger and more influential um, in the overall. And the last sort of discussion, and I think where regulatory sort of focus is, is on what is the methodology that these providers are using? Um, And is there a certain degree of consistency across sort of geographies or industries? Um, If there isn't, and I think the answer right now is there isn't necessarily a cross providers consistency, uh, then is there some merit in trying to iron that out? Obviously, accounting for sort of differences between more developed markets and emerging markets and regulating how these entities actually perform their services. Um, So I think you will see a lot of focus on that going forward. And I think it will become a point of discussion, especially as the volume of these sorts of instruments grows. Um, And as I said, the role of these entities becomes comparable to what a traditional sort of ratings provider uh, provides.
0: So moving on to a bit more about the transaction process, we were very curious to understand a little bit more on how the SLB deal works and what the usual outcomes have been.
2: So I think um, the work that's done in the early stages of these deals, which is largely done between sort of you know the issuer, their council, the banks, um, focuses on whether the issuer is actually um, eligible to undertake this sort of issuance, whether it is feasible for them to actually uh, put an ESG bond into the market, um, and that comes from sort of a variety. So specifically in sustainability-linked bonds. Um, it's important that we have the key performance targets sort of ironed out, right? Now, a lot of issues have heard of ESG bonds, they have a sustainability framework, they have principles, but um, it's specifically required under ICMA's framework that the SPTs that are put in place uh, should be meaningful, should be impactful, they should be clearly quantifiable, they should stand up to external verification or scrutiny, and they should compare against industry benchmarks. Um, And that's not just benchmarks in India, that's sort of across uh, in similar issuers and similar areas of a similar pedigree. So I think the first sort of step is understanding what the issuer has in mind and whether what they have in mind will stand up to the test that sort of ICMA requires um, the working group to apply. The second aspect is actually understanding the issuer's business really well. One of the primary things with SPTs is they need to absolutely be tailored for the issuer's industry, right? Um, These are not like sort of change of control triggers or early redemption triggers that are largely the same across uh, different sort of industries. At the end of the day, the issuer has to arrive at a set of SPTs that make sense for its industry. Um, And that could be whether it's reduction of sort of, you know, greenhouse gases or reduction of carbon emissions or you're saying, you know, what a usage ratio will improve. Whatever it is has to be specific to the issuer's industry. Uh, And the improvement that it intends to make must be easily identifiable and verifiable. And it should represent something more than what you would see in an ordinary course sort of, you know, uh, improvement over a period of, you know, four years or nine years, depending on the tenor of the bots. Uh, So a fair amount of work goes into those early stages to see what the issuers have in mind whether you can get a third party sort of come in and tell you whether that would stand up to their certification or scrutiny. Um, And then if all of that works, you start drafting the specific SPTs, what the target observation dates are and so on into the terms of the bonds.
1: That's really interesting. Tailoring performance targets for the industry and company is key for an effective outcome. But what about the use of proceeds? We had already asked Clifford in our previous podcast on SLBs on whether embedding a use of proceeds-based feature would give rise to stronger structures. But what did Pallavi have to say on this?
2: Is there scope in the future for a product that would marry the features of both, that would have verifiable metrics and targets, as well as a focus on the use of proceeds? It's too early to say, but I think that's entirely possible at some point. But at least at this stage where things stand, I think the focus of the SLB product is drawing out traditionally sort of brown industries and incentivizing them to move towards greater ESG compliance.
0: Okay, but let's go back to an existing structure that involves the use of proceeds, transition bonds. Interestingly, the market for SLBs overtook the transition bond market last year, but why haven't these instruments taken off in the same way?
2: answer to that is just, um, so again, the transition bond is fundamentally a use of proceeds uh, instrument, right? Uh, so what it said was, if an issuer is in the process of transitioning from brown to green uh, and would write, raise funds to sort of enable that transition and has sort of, you know, uh, has projects that it would like to invest in, then you can use a transition bond to facilitate that process. I um, think there were a couple of sort of, uh Issues with transition bonds. The first was probably a perception issue, which was um, centered around, oh, transition bonds are simply a way for issuers to access better pricing while they continue to do what they've been doing for several years, i.e., not making a change. That was the larger sort of, you know, perception issue and concerns around sort of, you know, greenwashing. But the second aspect was it's just a more pragmatic problem. Um, For issuers that are in traditionally sort of heavy infrastructure industries or brown industries, um, there frankly weren't projects of that size necessarily available for them to deploy their entire user proceeds towards. Um, So I think as a practical matter, the product wasn't that appealing to an issuer in those sectors. Um, the SLB removes that problem, right? The SLB says, okay, we understand the kind of sector you're in. Today, you may not have green projects to invest in, which is fine. You can still raise a sustainability-linked bond as long as you commit over a period of time to improve your overall sort of emissions or you know whatever target you've set for yourself. And if you accept that if you're unable to do that, there will be a coupon penalty imposed. Um, And I think that's the reason SLBs have been far more successful than transition bonds, because they actually cater to a market need that the issuers have.
1: This might be the right time to discuss recent innovations in SLB structures. For instance, Bank of China issued a sustainability relinked bond tied to the performance of the bank's sustainability linked loan portfolio. To provide context to our listeners, in this structure, the coupon rate of the SLB adjusts on an annual basis depending on the performance of the bank's sustainability loan portfolio. So we asked Pallavi if there are more such innovations on the horizon. So I think it's fair to say that we will see a fair bit of
2: sort of uh, innovation in this space. Uh, I think the, the people forget just because it's there have been so many across geographies as to how recent this whole product is and that people are still learning Uh, There are new industries accessing the product almost every week, if not sort of, you know, soon on a sort of even more compressed timeline. Uh, I think we will see different innovations. I think we will see testing becoming more frequent. We will see issuers who will want the benefit of if they comply for a coupon to be reset downwards. Uh, We will see the merger of features between the loan and bond industries. And I think we will see increasing regulation, whether of sort of, you know, the uh, data providers or other sort of rating counterparties, which will have a follow through into how the bond is structured. Um, So I think this will be a very interesting space to watch for the next sort of, you know, two to five years. I think there will be significant sort of changes coming along. Um, I think right now people are still very much finding their feet. I think a lot of the focus is still on what is an industry benchmark, what is an achievable SPT for an issuer. Uh, But I think as the conversation broadens, as more and more issuers access it in a particular industry, the benchmark is going to keep evolving. Uh, Also as issuers achieve some of the targets they've set for themselves sooner than they expected, uh, I think you can see I think you probably will see repeat issuers coming to market with more ambitious sort of testing schedules, um, eager to sort of drive home to investors that they're ahead of the curve when it comes to this product.
0: So overall, it seems investors are gravitating towards sustainable instruments or some sustainability feature in conventional instruments that they put their money in. We asked Pallavi if she's also observed more investors considering ESG issues even if they're in conventional bond transactions?
2: Absolutely. I think we've seen the shift both, um, I mean, obviously driven by investors, but also at the issuer end. Um, So obviously you have the whole spectrum of sort of green finance, right? Whether it's your green bond or, you know, transition bond or SLB. But even um, for just regular bonds that have none of those sorts of labels, uh, I think investors are quite conscious about not investing in industries that have a poor track record um, of ESG compliance, or, for example, industries or issuers that are seen to facilitate financing of other industries that have a poor track record. So there's certainly a fair amount of investor scrutiny there. Uh, I think arising from that, what you see is even issuers who are just issuing sort of vanilla more traditional bonds, wanting to disclose voluntarily more about their ESG compliance footprint in their offer documents. Um, So they want to say more about what their sustainability goals are, even if they're not issuing any one of these special products or setting any more ambitious goals for themselves. They're certainly far more keen to tell investors what they're doing in that space and where they see themselves going. Uh, There is a fair bit of, I think, interest there in making sure that they are on the right side of history, as it were, and making sure they're positioning that to the market.
1: I think this is a good segue into understanding the shifting role of legal practitioners in Asia and the EST space. The main objective of an SLB, it's been made so clear now, is accountability. Globally, investor activism and lawsuits have grown in prominence as a means to hold companies accountable. On a broader level, we have recently seen litigation playing a role in holding corporates accountable for their obligation to combat climate change? For instance, in 2021, a Dutch court provided relief on the basis of Dutch tort law to hold oil and gas giant Shell accountable for reducing its carbon emissions. In another case, an Australian court permitted a class action suit to proceed against the Australian government for non-disclosure of climate change risks in sovereign bonds.
0: So I guess the question here is, is Asia ready for such developments? Will we see greater propensity for investors to take legal action as the sustainable bond market deepens? This is what Pallavi said.
2: Um, Look, at the end of the day, today, what applies to the ESG space outside of sort of, you know, specific rules that are coming around, like I mentioned in Singapore around climate reporting and so on, uh, what really applies is the traditional sort of anti-fraud liability construct that applies to securities offerings more generally, which is, you know, at the end of the day, even an ESG offering, the test would be, was there any material misstatement or remission in the offer document, which then puts the onus for, you know, sort of having diligence uh, the issuer's thought process around setting certain goals, what they are saying about the work they've done so far, why they think these are properly measurable and sort of, you know, Uh, represent a sort of improvement on industry benchmarks on the entire working group. Um, At the end of the day, I think if there is a situation where it comes to light that an issuer has misrepresented or omitted to sort of disclose Mm -hmm. in its offer document um, something egregious in relation to its ESG sort of framework or policies or its sort of footprint over there, Um, I think it's quite likely that would come to litigation. I think that is something investors would follow through. Uh, But currently, the test for that remains largely the same as it would for other securities litigation. Currently, there's a lot of scrutiny on these instruments, right? They are very much the flavor of the month. Uh, People are scrutinizing every issuer against their sort of, you know, industry peers and so on. Um, And... There's increasing take-up, as you can see, from the Indian market, but also across APAC more widely, whether it's sort of you know China or Indonesia. This sort of paper has now come out from almost every country in APAC. Um, I think that scrutiny is only going to intensify. Uh, and I think if it comes to light that issuers are sort of playing, you know, uh, lightly with sort of what they're saying in their ESG, sort of their SBTs, or, you know, how they intend to achieve those, Or if they're saying today's sort of baseline benchmark is sort of incorrectly being reported to sort of, you know, overstate the amount of improvement over a period of time, I think the reaction to that would be litigation. Uh, But today that litigation probably wouldn't be under any specific disclosure framework per se. Um, It would be under the general sort of anti-fraud, securities, liability principles that we use for offerings overall. But I think investors' temperature certainly would be and intend to litigate just to sort of correct the market if that sort of behavior becomes prevalent.
1: To conclude, SLVs seem to be the instrument of the future and will give rise to several innovative financing structures as ESG rises in importance in the region and in India. This was Pallavi's outlook for India's SLV market in 2022. Um, I think, look, it, it, it's going to
2: be a very... um. Interesting year. I I fully expect to see more paper come from the market uh, in both sort of SLBs as well as the traditional green bond space. Um, I think you've already seen, I think the first two issuances of this year have already gone out and we are barely on the 11th of January. Um, So I certainly expect to see a lot more investor interest and a lot more issuer interest um, in the ESG bond space. I think it'll be quite an exciting market to watch. Um, And I think we will see many other industries, first. So industries that have not traditionally issued this sort of paper uh, coming into especially the SLB space.
0: And that wraps up the second part of our series on SLBs. Special thanks to Pallavi and Alan Overy for participating and sharing such valuable insights. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for further chats on exciting ESG developments on Red Talks.